Well, again, we're looking at Psalms 140 through 142 this morning in a message I've entitled Bible Said. And I'll explain that title in just a minute, but you know, some of my earliest memories are of being in the car on these road trips or as my family and I would go to Corpus to go shop and that kind of thing. And always, without fail, my dad would be playing oldies music. Just always. Now, it may be, because I'm so old now, it may be called ancient music now. I'm not sure. But it was oldies when I was growing up, and it was from the 50s and 60s. And so pretty much any song from the 50s or 60s, if I hear it start playing, I know all the words. I wish I knew the Bible as well as I know music from the 50s and 60s. I was kind of thinking about this week and thinking about what the Lord is speaking to me through these psalms. And, and the song that came to my, ma- my, my head was a song called Mama Said. Maybe you're familiar with it? Uh, Mama said there'd be days like this. There'd be days like this, Mama said. Right? And they say that over and over again in the song. And, you know, I don't know that I've ever kind of really dug into the lyrics and did an exposition of the lyrics of Mama Said. But I remember hearing it a lot as a kid, and kind of the, the, the message that I got from it was, not every day is going to be easy. Days are going to be hard. Days are going to be difficult. And, and, and you know what? That was actually a good lesson for me to learn young, to realize that, that things were going to be challenging, that not every day was going to be easy. And, and, and so as I thought about that song, you know, I always took it to be that there was this important lesson that there were going to be bad days as well as good days. And, and so as I was thinking about that, that really was the message I wanted to bring for our, our passages today was Bible said. So it's not mama said, it's Bible said because the Bible said there'd be days like this. There'd be days like this, the Bible said. And I think that's important for us to remind ourselves because so much for what, uh, what passes for professing Christianity is simply trying to sell you something, trying to sell you another book that's going to fix your life, trying to sell you, you know, to, to come to our church because you'll be encouraged and, and, and everything, you know, you'll be a, find the champion within and all this kind of stuff, and we'll build bigger and better, and we can fix this, and if we just do enough right things, we can fix this fallen world and all of this kind of stuff, but I don't know that that's the message of the scriptures, the scriptures, as far as I read it, says, man, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be hard. Your outward man is perishing, but your inward man's going to be renewed by day. And guess what? It's not going to get fixed through political parties or efforts online. It's only going to get fixed when Jesus Christ returns, when he establishes his kingdom. Now, don't check out on me. Don't be discouraged. I'm not trying to discourage you early. I'm just trying to kind of set the tone, set perspective. Because we do want to pray for revival. We do want to pray for change. We do want to pray for our family members who are not walking with the Lord. We do want to believe that God can do great things. But we also have to remind ourselves in the midst of that, we're in a battle. We're in a war. That things are going to be challenging each day, but God is going to use those things to grow us and mature us and build our character. So we're going to look at what Bible said today, once again, as we seek to do every Sunday morning. So let's start with Psalm 140 here. We have a Psalm of David we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 here. It says, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent. The poison of asps is under their lips. Selah. Now, before we get into this, you may recognize verse 3 there because Paul uses that in Romans chapter 3 to talk about the sinfulness of men. So, he's, he's, so this is something that we see throughout the scriptures, the sinfulness of men, but, but we don't want to lose sight of what David's doing here. What is David doing? He's praying for deliverance. 
He's in a difficult situation, he's in a hard situation, and he wants deliverance out of that. So that reminds us that this life is going to be challenging. A.W. Tozer put it well when he says, hey, this, this life, the Christian life, it's a battleground, not a playground. Now, if you have in your heart, like most of us do, just a desire for peace, a desire for things to be settled, a desire for there to be relational harmony, a desire for when you get together with your extended family, could we not fight this time? <laughs> could be this the time that we get along together? If you have that in your heart, I just want to encourage you, that's a good thing because you have a heart for heaven. Heaven is a place where there's going to be perfect harmony. Heaven is a place where we're going to finally be at peace. Heaven is a place where there's going to be no more difficulty. But the thing is, we have to remind ourselves, as long as we walk in this life, and again, the scripture tells us our life is, is really, it's, it's a fog that's there in the morning and that's passing away. It, it's a brief moment. But as long as we're in this brief moment in our earthly life, it's going to be a battle. So I want to remind you of that by asking you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 very familiar passage, uh, but that's, that's going to be one of the themes today, is there's these, these familiar, clear passages that, I, that I, I hope to implant in your heart, in my heart, in your mind, and in my mind. Because it's those clear, familiar passages that really um, give us a framework for what life is like. Give us a framework for what the Christian life is like. And, and so one of these, for here in uh, Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, so there we go, Ephesians, um, is Ephesians chapter 6. I want to look at verses 10 through 20. Now, it's very easy for us to say, okay, yes, I could say this one in my sleep. I know all the armor of God, and, and Steve, why are we going through this again? Because every day is a day where you need the armor on. Because every day is a day that you're going to battle. <laughs> and if you don't have external enemies that day, well, you have yourself still. <laughs> and so you have that internal. Every day there's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we need to be prepared for that. So Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, Paul's wrapping up his letter to the church in Ephesus. And he says, finally, my brethren, fellow believers, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I want you to, to, to the battle that you're in, it's not your power. It's not your ability. It's not your smarts. It's not your good looks. It's not your athleticism. It's the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is great because God is infinite in power. God's omnipotent. So now as God is asking me to battle faithfully in this life, it's not about me, it's about him. I want to be strong in him. I, I want to be uh, depending on the power of his might. And so what are we to do? We're to trust in him by putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's what God wants us to do. It's just to stand, to stand up against the devil in his power and God's power. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So when we ask ourselves, why is the world such a mess? Why is there so much craziness? Why are things gone off the rails politically or socially? We just need to come back to verse 12 because there's very real supernatural enemies working behind the scenes in concert with fallen man, causing these things to happen. Okay, so we're in a battle. And so, so we need to realize that. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand and having, in the evil day and having done all to stand. So we've seen stand, withstand, stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, the truth of the word of God. 
okay? And so as we stand in the truth, as we continue you know, trusting in the word of God, learning the word of God, hiding the word of God in our heart, that helps us to, to kind of gather everything up so that we're ready to battle. Because that's what a belt was for in the ancient world. You know, you had these flowing cloaks and you need to gather it all up. You need your belt to tighten it up so you can be ready to battle so it's not in your way. And it continues on. It says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. We can be strong-hearted because it's not about you and how you're doing today or how you did yesterday. It's about the righteousness of Christ that has been uh, given to you the imputed righteousness of Christ so we could be strong-hearted in his righteousness. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in other words, you're prepared to go out and share the gospel, okay? Above all, taking the shield of faith, so our trust in God is a shield with which we're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation, knowing that you've been saved, You've been born again by the Spirit. You're on your way to heaven. That can guard your mind against the, the things that the enemy wants to, to put in there. And you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So it's, the sword is offensive and defensive, right? You use the word of God to defend against the enemy also, but to take ground, to take down arguments. And then praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We pray in the midst of this battle. We ask for help, just like we see David doing. And then Paul shifts it and says, hey, and also for me, guys, he says, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, and that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul, as great as he was, needed prayer, needed help, needed encouragement from others. And also notice, he's in prison as he writes this epistle. So you may be right now in prison. Maybe you feel like you're in a relational prison. You're in a financial prison. You're in you know, a, a health prison. You're, you're something is not right. And you say, it shouldn't be like this. If, if, if you know, God were good, I shouldn't be dealing with this. That's, that's not reality. The reality is you and I are gonna have struggles. You and I are gonna have troubles. You and I are gonna have afflictions. You and I are gonna have difficulties. That's what the Bible said. And so it's up to us to say, you know what? I'm going to stand even in this. Even in the midst of this, I'm going to stand because the Lord's going to give me the power to stand. Okay, so with this in mind, would you turn back to Psalm 140? We can make sense of, of what David's going through, what we're going through. And, and again, I want to encourage you, if you're in a place of just really difficult times right now, the Psalms is a great place to just go through, to pray through, to realize, okay, being, having difficulty in the Christian life is not unusual believers are going to endure difficulty. All right, verses four and five here says, keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. Selah. Okay, so here's the imagery is that the wicked men want David to fall. They want David to stumble. They want David to, to kind of be raked through the mud. That's what they want for David. And, and this is all throughout history. People love for the righteous to fall. Dostoevsky wrote this in Brothers Karamazov. He says, for men love the fall of the righteous man and his disgrace. They love that. There's, there's nothing that, that's more exciting in the newspaper than someone who everybody thought was a good guy gets exposed, gets revealed. People love that. And they, they love it for one simple reason. They can feel better about their own sin. 
just love it because now I can be comfortable in my sin because, well, that guy's a hypocrite and this person's not. And, and so it's really challenging even for us as believers to read the biographies of truly great men and women who never stumbled, who never fell, who were sinners like us, but had no glaring thing because it's a challenge to us to say, oh, I don't look like that. But it's also a challenge to us because if God can work great things in their life, hmm, maybe he wants to work great things in my life. If God can bring cleansing and change in their life, maybe he can do the same for me. So, so David had his enemies, and we can expect to have our enemies who want to see our fall as well. Verses six through eight, I said to the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. Okay, so here's, please understand what David's doing. He realizes he can't fight his enemies alone. He can't do it alone, so he's asking for help. He's asking for help from the Lord. Lord, would you help me? Would you strengthen me? Would you encourage me? That's what he's doing. And, and I, I wanna um, bring this point up. We, knowing the Bible is not enough. Understanding the Bible is not enough. We also need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to do these things. Um, it, it's interesting, I'm going through a book right now for an online class, and, and there's a lot of good information in the book, a lot of great things about how to study the Bible. There's almost no mention of the Holy Spirit. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit um, enlightening your eyes or, or guiding you and all these things. It's, it's all just kind of like in, intellectual things. And, and believe me, I love intellectual things, but it doesn't stop there. We need to trust the Holy Spirit. So, so if you're in a place today and you say, well, well, if I just memorize more verses, that'll fix it. Or if I just do this and that'll fix it. Or if I just read all these Christian self-help books, that'll fix it. I'm not saying that those things can't have their place, but you and I need the person of the Holy Spirit gifting us, empowering us, bearing his fruit in our life if we're to do what God's called us to do. There's a reason why Jesus told the, the first you know, apostles, the apostles there in Acts, wait in Jerusalem till the promise of the Father comes. Because you're not to go out and do this on your own. You're not to go do it in your own power. So if you find yourself today and you say, well, I'm just, I want to do what God calls me to do. I just don't seem to have that dynamic. I just don't seem to have that power. I would encourage you to go home, find a quiet place, get on the floor before the Lord and just ask the Holy Spirit to empower you. Ask the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe some of you are in an age, you say, if I get down on the floor, I'm never getting up again. All right, that's not a requirement, okay? Sit in a nice, comfortable chair, whatever case may be, and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to do what he's called you to do. And guess what? He may call you to say, you know, I'm gonna empower you to keep fighting this battle, and this battle is gonna be with you the entire, rest of your life. That can happen. But you can keep doing it if the Holy, Holy Spirit empowers you. And so as so I share the word of God with you, I don't want to ever give you the impression that it's mere just you studying, me studying the word of God, and us kind of getting it done. The Holy Spirit is the one to empower us, to gift us, to equip us to do the work he's called us to do. Now, so, the, so verses six through eight again, um, we need the help of the Lord to fight our battles. And, and I love what David said to Goliath. David said, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. And so if you understand that, if I understand that, that the battle that we're fighting, whatever the case may be on a day-to-day basis, it's not our battle. Ultimately, it's the Lord's battle. And if we're a casualty of war, if we're fighting the good fight and it's time for God to take us out, 
Well, that's fine because the battle can continue because it belongs to him. Our, we're just called to fight as long as he calls us to fight. And then when he chooses to take us home, well, that's when we need to go home. Let's continue on verses 9 through 11. It says, as for the head of those who surround me, let their evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into the deep pits, that they rise not up again. Let not a slander be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. And so basically what David is saying here is let their evil come upon their own heads. They're plotting evil. Let them just fall prey to their own evil. Okay, this, this makes sense, right? This is similar to what we read in Proverbs 26, verse 27, where it says, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. Now, please don't think that this is karma, right? It's not karma, you know, what goes around, comes around. It's not that thing. But, but there's, there's something that we see in movies. It's called poetic justice, right? A criminal's trying to do something and then it comes back on him. Or, or I think a great example would be in the book of Esther, right? Haman wants to destroy Mordecai and he has this gallows built. And then as his plot is revealed, he gets hung on those very same gallows. It's that sort of idea. So, so David is basically saying they're plotting evil. Just let the evil come back on them. Verses 12 and 13, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. Okay, so a few things here. Notice that he says, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted. Please understand, the Lord is always for his people, even though his people suffer. So even if you're suffering right now, and, and if you're not suffering right now, you're soon to be, right? Suffering is a part of this world. God is still for you. And God's still using that suffering. Um, and so, so if this is something that you need to really think about and, and, and work through, I would really encourage you uh, to pick up a copy of Elizabeth Elliot's book, Suffering is Never for Nothing. Okay, it's, it's a great book to kind of help you think about these ideas. But remember, God's for you even though you're suffering. And then the second thing we see here where it says, and surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name, that the righteous believers are to give thanks to the Lord despite the circumstances. Okay, it's really important. It's easy for us to thank the Lord when we get a gallon of Bluebell. Praise the Lord for making this. This is great. Okay. But when it's time for Brussels sprouts instead, <laughs> oh, thanks God. You know, it's, it's a little harder to thank the Lord. But so no matter the circumstances, the righteous are to thank the Lord. And then I love this last part of verse 13. The upright shall dwell in your presence. Believers will dwell in God's presence. Now that's a, that's a both and. It's, it's, a, it's a, a now and future. Right now, you're dwelling in God's presence. Okay. Because God is omnipresent. He's everywhere that you've ever gone. He's been present. So now as a believer, you and I should be cognizant of that. We should be thinking about that. We should be thinking the Lord's in this room. Uh, the Lord's with me. I can pray to him at any time. Uh, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. All of those things. But we understand that our, our, uh, I guess, um, our understanding of his presence is very limited right now. It's easy to forget that he's present. So it's important for us to be encouraged by thinking about the time that we're going to see him face to face. 
to think about the time where we're going to be in his manifest presence, bowing down before him, singing to him, all of those things. So that's something we need to look forward to. Paul looked forward to this. I want to read you a verse from 1 Corinthians 13. And, and to give you a little context uh, before I read it, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, in the city of Corinth, they, they, in, the, in the ancient world, their mirrors were not like our mirrors. Okay, you know, our mirrors, they show a lot. <laughs> And uh, if you've ever been in one of those like hotel, you know, the fluorescent light and you see yourself in the mirror, it's like, am I 105? (laughs) I did not realize I had aged so much. It just shows everything in that mirror. Okay, that's not how the mirrors were in the ancient world. You would take a piece of bronze and you would polish it the best you could and that's what you used. So you didn't see yourself as as well. So probably those ancient mirrors, you'd be like, looking good. (laughs) And so this is what Paul's talking about when he says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, for we see in a mirror dimly. Because the mirrors in the ancient world, they're not giving you that great of a reflection. But this is what he says. We see in a mirror dimly, but then in heaven face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. So, so we have this incredible thing to look forward to that the day is coming where we're no longer gonna see God dimly. We're going to see him face to face. And then there's going to be some level of knowing him just as he knows us. Now, I don't know how that works. My personal take on this is that as we spend more and more time in heaven moving forward, we're going to get to know God better and better and better and better. And every one of us is going to become more like the Lord and we're going to become more and more interesting and we're going to get to know each other more and more and more. So so there's going to be this clarity. So that's a beautiful thing. So that's something to look forward to is that, that we're going to see him face to face, that we're going to be in his, his presence in that way. All right, let's move on to Psalm 141. We have another Psalm of David. All of our Psalms are of David today. And we read verses 1 and 2. Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So David is pleading for God to hear him, pleading for God to be present, pleading for God to open his ears to him. And notice he uses the the imagery of offering. Let my prayer be set before you as incense, lifting my hands as the evening sacrifice. And so this is taken from the Mosaic covenant and the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And he's kind of using that imagery. He's saying, just as you receive these offerings that people bring to you, this incense or this evening sacrifice, would, would you receive me as those sacrifices? And this would bring to mind things like, you know, Romans chapter uh, 12, where it says we're to, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. That's what he's talking about. But, but what I really want to, to focus in on for just a moment is the fact that we have incredible access to God. As believers, you and I have incredible access to God. And so to remind you of that, would you turn to Hebrews chapter four for just a moment? So turn somewhat near the end of your Bibles, and we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4. Again, Hebrews is another great book to go back through as you're kind of wondering, I don't know, does God really love me? Does does he want me in his presence? Kind of all these sort of things. It's a great encouragement, especially because Hebrews was written to believers who were very discouraged because of what they were going through, the hardships that they were encountering. So Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16. Again, focusing on the fact that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ have incredible access to God. It says, the author says, seeing then that we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Okay, so our great high priest is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's passed through the heavens, right? He's ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And so because that's all true, you and I as believers are to hold fast to our confession. We're not to allow difficulty and suffering and hardship and unmet expectations to say, well, you know what? Forget this whole Christianity thing because I saw something on Twitter. I think that's better. Or there's a trend on TikTok. Maybe I should join in with that. No, Our difficulties don't change the fact that Jesus Christ has gone through the heavens and is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's reality. So we're to hold fast to that confession. And then there's more encouragement, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be a human being. He knows what it's like to be tempted more than you do because he never gave in to temptation. You and I, as we're tempted and tempted and tempted, at some point we give in. Not so with Jesus. So Jesus sympathizes with us. He knows what it's like. And then verse 16, here's the incredible access. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is incredible. That word boldly, it just, it has this idea of unashamedly coming in. It's the idea of, you know, you're, you're in a, on a, a Zoom call with your business in your office and the three-year-old is no respecter of that Zoom call. The three-year-old just comes into the room and demands your attention. That's the kind of, that's, that's the picture here. That because of Jesus Christ, because of his righteousness, because he's opened the way, you and I as believers can come boldly before the throne of grace. We have this incredible access for, and what do we access? Mercy and grace to help in time of need. That's, that's what you and I have. That's amazing. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. Not because of you. So please understand, it's not because you had a, a two-hour prayer time this morning. It's not because you've really been on your devotional reading or this or that, the other. None of that. The reason why you have this boldness of access is because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and rose from the dead for you. That's why. So now I can come boldly before the throne of grace whenever I need forgiveness for my sins or whenever I need a reset or whenever I I want him to move in this way or that way. I have that access because of Christ, not because of me. All right, let's turn back to Psalm 141, verse three. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. Probably lots of us, that would be a great verse to memorize. (laughs) Would be a wonderful one to pray, maybe hourly uh, for us. And so really what David is asking is asking God to govern what he says. God, would you be the master over my mouth? Uh, James chapter three, verse six, James warns us, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. So the the reality for us is, as we would, you know, most of the time do better to speak less. You know, it says in the scriptures, the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. And so to really be wise and ask God, pray for wisdom, Lord, would you give me wisdom what to say? Could could I I glorify you in what I say? Would Would you train me to think and before I speak, Holy Spirit, would you be the one to give me the words to say? And so just beautiful, beautiful reminder there. Let's continue on to verse four. Uh, Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. 
So essentially this prayer here is help me to steer clear of the wicked. Help me to stay out of trouble. Help me not to, to kind of give in to the wicked things. And so I, w- I want to remind you of what it says in Psalm 1. So would you turn to, to Psalm 1 real quick? And we'll go ahead and go back all the way through the Psalms, back to 140. No, just kidding. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Because I, I think this is incredible instruction for us. If, if we really want to stay out of trouble, I think this is the way to do it. If we really want to stay away from kind of all the messes of this life and kind of getting down into the muck and the mud, then this is a great place for us to go. So what I want you to see here um, in Psalm, uh, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, we have what to avoid and what to pursue. And those are two important things. We need to know in life, what is it that I should avoid and what is it that I should pursue? Because it's not enough to merely avoid things. We actually need to go after something. We need to have a purpose. We need to have a direction. So, so Psalm 1 one is we really telling us what to avoid. Notice, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Essentially, don't hang out or listen to unbelievers. That's really the key, right? That's the key. So that's what to avoid. But then what do we pursue? Notice, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. This is actually really, 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 really simple okay, I'm going to choose not to allow unbelievers undue influence in my life. At the same time, I'm just going to make the word of God what I pursue. As we do that, our lives will become really simplified. As we look at the sin of this world, it's actually, it's very simple when you get down to it. Man just wants to do what man wants to do. Wants to kind of do whatever's right in his own eyes. But for you and I, we've, we've forsaken that. No, I don't want to do what's right in my own eyes because I've seen that and it turns out poorly. Let me just pursue the things that you want. And so a beautiful place for us to go to, to say, I want to just live a life that's fruitful and it's a blessing. Let me avoid the wicked and let me pursue the word of God and the God of the word. All right, let's go back to Psalm 141 now. Continuing on here, and we're going to look at the um, verse 5, if you'll notice, probably in your Bibles, it, it's kind of broken up a little strangely, um, and so there's kind of a little gap in between uh, the first part of Psalm 5 and the second part of uh, Psalm, I'm sorry, of verse 5 of Psalm 141. So I just want to focus on this first part for a moment. It says, let the righteous strike me, and it shall be a kindness, and let him rebuke me, and it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. Okay, very, very practical advice, uh, wisdom for us, instruction. What David is saying is that he is willing to be rebuked by fellow believers. David is willing to be rebuked by fellow believers. And this is great. And it's a question for all of us. Are we willing to receive loving correction from fellow Christians? Are we willing to do that? This is, this is important because if we are, if we're teachable, then what's going to happen is we're going to grow and mature. If we end up being people who say, well, at that church, they, they, um, you know, they rebuked me about this thing, so I'll just find another church and another church and another church. That's a bad way to do life. It's important for us to be willing to take rebuke. Let me give you a couple of verses along these lines. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Judas proved that. But what we want to remind ourselves is faithful are the wounds of a friend. When a friend loves us enough to say, Hey, I see this going on in your life. This is really bad. This is not going to help you. This is going to hurt you. This is going to harm your marriage. This is going to do these things. 
that's actually, that's a really, really good thing. That's someone who loves you. Okay, the, when, in this culture that we, have, that we have that everybody's saying, no matter what you want to do, you just do it. That's love. That's not love. It's not love to help a person toward their own destruction. And so for you and I, let's receive that. Now, another verse I want to give you along these lines is from Galatians. And if you're familiar with Galatians, the church there and, and the region of Galatia, they had kind of strayed from the simple gospel and they started becoming real legalistic and there was these Judaizers and they thought they had to keep the law. And Paul, in the in letter to the Galatians, he is strong with them. He's strong with them and he says this to them. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? See, they viewed him as their enemy because Paul was saying, you guys are doing wrong. I love you. I want you to do something better. And then they weren't receiving that. They weren't responding to that. So Paul's like, am I your enemy because I tell you the truth? I, I love you guys. And so it's really important because if you and I realize the most, most faithful friend that we have kind of on a daily basis to rebuke us is God's word, right? God's word, when we come to it, it rebukes us. And the Holy Spirit speaks that the Holy Spirit loves us, but he's going to rebuke us. He's going to correct us because he wants something better for us than the way that we're living. Continuing on now in verse five, we see the second part of it. And we're going to look at, through verse seven. And, and this is a really challenging section to interpret. It says, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff and they hear my words for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave as when one plows and breaks up the earth. And as I, I just read and reread that and studied it, I'm just like, I'm not exactly sure how to put all these pieces together and how it all fits together. So it's challenged you to interpret. So I, I want to bring out a few things that I can note from this section of scripture because I know it from other sections as well. Number one, David is praying against the wicked, asking God to stop them. That's always a good prayer. It's always a good prayer to say, God, would you stop the wicked? Would you stop their influence? Would you cause people to turn back to you? Okay, so that's something here. Second thing I believe David is saying here is that the wicked will be overthrown, right? When he says the ju their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff. In other words, the day is coming when they will be overthrown. Now, here's one of the most common things that people have a problem with, that I have a problem with, is if God is gonna stop evil, why hasn't he done it already? Why won't he just stop it? Well, we have to ask ourselves, well, at what level of evil do you want him to stop? Because if he's going to stop all evil, then pretty much you and I are going to have to be gone from the planet <laughs> because we commit evil every day. And so what we have to remind ourselves is God is good. He is going to stop evil, and that day is coming when he will stop it. We read about that in Revelation chapter 21. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, no more death, no more pain, no more crying. So for us right now, it's not really a question of like, well, why hasn't God stopped evil yet? It's really a, a reminder God is going to stop evil in his timing and in his way. It's up to me, though, to resist evil. It's up to me to share truth, to fight against evil as long as I'm in this battle, and then realizing the day is coming where God will take me home, where I'll lay down my arms before him, and, and, and then I won't have to deal with this anymore. But for now, evil exists because God is still at work in this world, still bringing things together, and he's allowing evil to, to, to kind of be what it is according to his purpose and his plan because he's bringing a people unto himself out of this fallen world. Now, third thing I see here from these verses that we covered is that um, what David was speaking the truth, what David was speaking was the truth whether people believed it or not. And he says that when he says, um, when they hear my words, 
and they hear my words for they are sweet. Now we know in context they were resisting his words, but David was still telling the truth, and that's really important. You may speak the truth into people's lives all around you, and they may resist it every day, and you may become discouraged because you say, my message isn't working. It doesn't seem like any change is happening. There's one person you're pleasing if you're still telling the truth, and that's the Lord. Just keep on telling the truth. It doesn't matter necessarily if people receive it or not. That's not your job to make them receive it. Your job is to keep telling the truth and knowing that the Lord's pleased with that. So the truth is the truth, whether people believe it or not. And then the final thing I see here where it says, our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave as when one plows and breaks up the earth. Commentators think that that's being told from the perspective of these unbelievers, these people who are are being destroyed. Um, So it seems to be saying that the bones of the wicked will be scattered and left without burial, which was a dishonor in the ancient world as it would be today. Okay. A lot of, lot of just things to challenge you in this, in this section. I would encourage you if you're saying, well, I don't know if Steve kind of handled this well. I want to go look it up on my own. By all means, study these verses. But, but here's, here's the big picture. I want to take a step back from this text for just a moment and share this with you. It's a reminder that we're to seek to interpret more difficult passages by less difficult passages. Okay, this is an important rule for us. There are going to be many places in scripture where you're like, what exactly is going on here? What exactly is happening? I don't really get it. I really don't understand it. How does this tie together? Take a step back at that moment and say, what, what do I know clearly? What do I see clearly? What has God really revealed to me? This is really, really important for us to do, to, to realize there's gonna be some things we just don't understand. And if you spend all your time in difficult passages with things that are doubtful and commentators can't really agree, and you just kind of do all that, you're just gonna confuse yourself. So what I encourage you is study faithfully, then take a step back and go to a place like John 3.16. I can, I can understand John 3.16. I can understand what that is. But this also has application as we seek to understand our own lives. You see, all of us are kind of expositors of our own lives. All of us are kind of looking at our past, looking at our present, kind of you know, predicting our future and trying to make sense of it. How does it all fit together? What's going on here? Why is God allowing this? Where is this going to lead? What's going to happen to this family member? And we can kind of confuse ourselves because it's unclear. So what we should do in those circumstances, when we have these difficult circumstances in our life, we may wonder if God loves us, right? Because everything seems to be spinning out of control. But then what we need to do in the midst of the craziness of our life or the fogginess of our life or the, the, the lack of clarity in our life is to take a step back and say, what does a clear passage say about my life? And one of the ones I would give you is Romans chapter five, verse eight. In the midst of the craziness of life, I would encourage you to take a step back and read Romans 5, eight. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What that does for your life and my life is it brings a settledness, it brings a clarity. Okay, I can't make sense of this circumstance but here's what I do know for sure, that God has already demonstrated that he loves me because he sent his son to die for me on the cross. So it may not look like God loves me in the midst of this craziness because it, it kind of hasn't been done yet. And, and so, but finally, I know that God loves me because of this. So that's what I encourage you to do. And that's why I bring you back to these kind of familiar passages again and again, because those provide a framework, a structure for our lives so that when there's stuff in there that we can't figure out, there's still stability because of the things we can figure out. And so I would say, 
Um, this is kind of an Im- illustration and image I would give you. Visit difficult passages, but make your home in the clear passages. So visit difficult passages, but make your home in the clear ones. Let's continue on, verse eight. It says, but my eyes are upon you, O God the Lord, in you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. And, and so David gets his eyes back on the Lord, okay? He looks up, he moves from the horizontal to the vertical, okay? And so I wanna give you an extreme example of this. Just a really, really interesting example. Would you turn to Acts chapter seven for just a minute? So as you turn to Acts chapter seven, um, Stephen, uh, who is uh, one of the, the early deacons of the church, he's been arrested, uh, he's, he's been put on trial, he's testified to the Lord, and, and um, they're, they're about to kill Stephen. So Acts chapter seven, we we'll to look at verses 51 through 60. As you're turning there, uh, again, I'm using this as, a, as kind of a, an ultimate illustration of getting your eyes off of the horizontal, getting your eyes off of kind of the situation at hand, this, this temporary situation you're in, and getting your eyes onto the vertical, getting your eyes onto the Lord. So this is exactly what we see a Stephen do. So Stephen's testifying. He's gone through a lot of things. We're going to pick it up in verse 51, kind of near the end of what he has to say. This is Stephen talking, speaking. He says, you stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by direction of angels and have not kept it. Now, please understand that as Stephen is saying these things, he's saying them strongly, but he's not saying them without love. Right? He loves these people, but he's, he's not going to pretend like loving them is to just to sugarcoat things. He's just going to tell them the truth. He's saying this, and notice how they respond in verse 54. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. In other words, they were convicted. They knew that Stephen was telling the truth, but instead of responding to that, they doubled down. Notice they gnashed at him with their teeth, but he, look at what he does. He moves from this horizontal situation to the vertical. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So this is an extreme example of getting your eyes on the vertical. He actually looks into heaven, God reveals it to him, and there's something very, very interesting, is Jesus isn't seated at the right hand of the Father, he's standing. Jesus is standing to receive him. Standing because Stephen's about to come home. This is a very, very incredible imagery. And then verse 56, and said, this is Stephen speaking, look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And the witness laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen. Now, please understand, Stephen, he's got a vision of Christ, right? He sees him up there. He's speaking about that, and he refuses to get his eyes back on the horizontal, Right? He refuses to say, oh, you guys, you're stoning me. Notice how, notice how he responds to it. Stephen, as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Because Stephen had his eyes on the vertical, even as he's being killed, as the Holy Spirit is moving within him, he's able to ask for forgiveness of those very people. Now, please understand, Stephen was no Superman. 
It's not like Stephen was like, well, he was a just different genetic material than you and I. We never could. No, the same Holy Spirit who empowered Stephen to live this life, to have this testimony, to die in this way, is the same Holy Spirit who indwells you, who indwells me. So this is an incredible thing. So, so this is like, again, the, the extreme example of what it looks like. But what about you? When we're, when we're stuck in traffic and we're losing our minds, can we not look at the vertical in that moment? You know, whenever we're going through, whatever the situation is, we, like Stephen, can get our eyes on the vertical, remind ourselves of who Christ is, and be able to continue to power through in the, spirit, the power the Spirit gives. All right, back now, if you would, to Psalm 142 here. Oh, whoops, still 141. Uh, verse 9 and 10, we'll finish it up here, or these, this psalm. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. So same, old th- same thing that we've seen before. Prayer for deliverance from his enemies. That's always a good prayer. Pray to be delivered from your enemies. It's always good to be willing to ask for help from the Lord. And he's basically saying, hey, let them fall into the traps that they've created. Always good prayers. Okay, pray for deliverance. Pray for God to stop the wicked. All right, let's move on to Psalm 142 now. We'll move quickly through this psalm here. Uh, Now, it says to us, it's a contemplation of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. So it seems to me likely that it was when he was fleeing King Saul, um, when King Saul wanted to kill him. David spent a lot of time in caves uh, as he was fleeing from Saul, and so it's one of those times. Verse 1, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make my supplication. Okay, in the midst of difficulty, David cries out to the Lord. It's a, good, it's a reminder for us. Now, as we think about this, though, one, one kind of little nuance I wanted to bring out is, you know, silent prayer is perfectly acceptable, okay? You, 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 a lot of us pray silently, just, you know, we may be at our desk, you know, at work or wherever. That's, that's great to pray silently. It's also good to pray out loud. It's also good to pray out loud, to cry out to God, to think about the words that are coming out of your mouth when you say that, because sometimes we can kind of get in the habit of only praying silently, right? And there's, it's, it's real easy to kind of get distracted and lose track when you're doing that. It, it is good to just get alone with the Lord and to pray out loud and to listen to what you're saying to him. Hear how that sounds. What kind of tone of voice am I using? Are these things that I'm, that I'm calling out to God about, are they important? Are they in, in conflict with Scripture? Do they go with Scripture? All of those things. That's what David is doing. So sometimes we just really need to verbalize that. We need to get it out there. Verse 2, he says, I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. So it's good to take our troubles to God. And the reason why it's so good to take our troubles to God He's the one who can actually do something about them. <laughs> so often we pour out our troubles to one another and it's, it's kind of like venting or it's gossiping or it's whatever. And there may be a time for us to share our troubles with each other. Sure. Especially we want people to pray for us. That's great. But the ultimate person we want to take our, our troubles to is the Lord. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. There's, God's the only one with shoulders big enough to take all of our cares. Because if we give all of our cares to a fellow human being, well, they have their own cares, and they have their own troubles, and they have their own difficulties. So they can take a little bit of our cares, but they can't take all of them. 
But God can take all of them. So we're to cast all our care upon him, realizing that he cares for us. Let's look at verses three and four. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, you knew my path and the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. So what we see here in verses three and four is David feels completely overwhelmed just completely overwhelmed. And I would argue that's good news because a guy like David and, and you know, all that, that you know, he had going on with, between him and the Lord, if he feels overwhelmed, well, then it makes sense that I would feel overwhelmed at times. It would make sense that I'm going to feel like that sometimes too, that it's not something super unusual for the Christian life, but it's just part of the whole deal. And if you read the scriptures, you see every person in there feels overwhelmed at times. Everybody feels just worn down. So again, when, when you and I feel like this, when you and I feel overwhelmed, go back to the word of God. You know, interpret your unclear circumstances by what the Bible clearly says. It says, oh yeah, Jesus said in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Oh, that's right. Okay, Paul says, uh, the, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's right. So that helps you interpret the circumstances of your life. All right, verses five through seven. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. And so as I look at all of this, these last few verses, really the, what jumps out at me is that David is acknowledging that God is his only hope. Not Obi-Wan, <laughs> but God is his only hope. Okay, and so that's good. This is a great reality for you and I to be able to say, well, God's my only hope. He's the only one I can fully trust in. He's the only one who, who actually has control of these situations. Then we won't put, you know, unnecessary burdens on other people, on other things and, and hoping in them and trusting in them, but to just say, you know what? God's my only hope in this life and in the hope to come and the life to come. And so that really settles our hearts as we trust in him. All right, we'll stop there for today. But as we close, I want to uh, give you three reminders taken from this study. Reminder number one, the Christian life is a battleground and not a playground. It's a battleground. But again, I, it's not, I'm not trying to say that to discourage you. You guys already know this. You understand that. But I'm just trying to remind you of this. Because a soldier who knows that he's a soldier then can actually fight well. If a soldier forgets that he's a soldier, there's trouble. And so for you and I, we're to fight in this Christian life, we're to, to stand fast, we're to put on the whole armor of God, all of those things, but then also to remind, rem, rem, uh, remind ourselves that the battle belongs to the Lord. It's ultimately his battle. It, it ultimately, the battle belongs to him. Second reminder is that as Christians, we should be willing to receive the loving rebuke of fellow believers. Just receive that. So, so if you say, well, I'm not a person who's really good at receiving rebuke right now. I just really don't want to hear it. Here's how you can practice. Read the word of God and receive the rebuke of the word of God. As you practice reading the word of God, it tells you what you're doing wrong. Okay, that's wrong. I'm going to do something different. Then if you're already in that habit of receiving rebuke from God's word, then when God uses a person to rebuke you, you've already been practicing it. You already know what to do. So you're going to receive it. And thirdly and finally, please, 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 this is for all of us. 
interpret the unclear circumstances of your life by the clear passages of Scripture. Interpret the unclear circumstances of your life by the clear passages of Scripture. The Scripture tells you who you are, what's going on in this fallen world, and where you're going. And so trust that, and that will help you along the way. And remember, the Bible said there'd be days like this. There'd be days like this, the Bible said. Let's pray.